Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. We thank God for another Wednesday. It's a privilege to be alive. It's not our right to be alive. It's just the grace of God who has brought us this far. And we give God thanks. Amen. Amen. This evening, you have joined us at Christ Church International. We are having our midweek service, and we welcome you on behalf of Bishop James Hansen Saki and Pastor Justine Hansen Saki. We are very privileged to have you, and we are happy that you are worshiping with us this evening. Amen. This evening, we have another get understanding. Hallelujah. Amen. There's been, uh, we are in a season of last. So last Sunday was the last Sunday service of the year. Today is the last Wednesday service of the year. And it's also the last get understanding of the year. We have been blessed throughout the year with a lot of get understanding services where the Holy Spirit has used Bishop James to answer all the numerous questions that we have. We've gone from ministry to relationships to marriage to counseling, to evangelism. We've done the whole breadth of questions that we can ask. And Bishop has been very patient, and he's answered every single one of them. And we thank you very much, Bishop, for that. And so this evening, we are here again. If you have not asked the question the whole of this year, this is your last chance <laughs> to, to, mark, to, to get a tick against your name that you did ask that question that you've had in your head and in your heart for a long time. But yes, we are open for questions. Um, as you are on YouTube watching us, if you have a question, please feel free to post it in the comment section. Or if you want a bit more privacy, you can send it to getunderstanding at Christchurches.org. And we are trusting God that we will be able to get through all the questions this evening. So you are welcome once again. And um, we will kick off this evening. Um, as usual, if you will help me with your hands clapping with some shouts and some emojis as we welcome our very own Bishop James Hansen Saki to this evening's Get Understanding. Hallelujah. <laughs> You're welcome, Papa. Thank you. Thank you very much once again. We always love Get Understanding. That's right. Um, because it's, it's really a, a teaching platform for us. And we don't always, as Christians, we don't always get to ask all the questions that we want. So we are always happy when there's Get Understanding. Amen. We give God the praise and thank him for his grace that has brought us this far, um, especially this year. And more importantly, as far as the teaching of the word of God is concerned, uh, this is a very unique platform that God has created for us uh, to be able to utilize and answer the questions that are on the minds of people. And it is indeed biblical to I believe, have this sort of setup um, because in the Bible we see that many occasions, most of the great teachings we have received had come from Jesus uh, as a result of questions being asked him. Um, so he answered most of their questions and we got to know a lot of things. Uh, the church also, especially the epistles, most of them were responses to questions that the church um, wrote to someone like Paul, and many times he says, concerning what you said, concerning what you asked me. For example, the teaching in 1 Corinthians 7 was very clear. It was a response to teaching, uh, to questions that 
uh, Paul was asked. And so he provided the response. And so many times we see that it has been as a result of questions. And it is very proper that we also teach from the same dimension. Uh, it's not always that we will stand and teach. It is good to also teach from a sitting position. And the Bible says that and Jesus sat down on the Mount of Olives and he taught the people. And then the Bible says that he borrowed Peter's boat and he sat down and he taught them. So today I'm sitting to teach. And the Bible says, and they came to him and they asked him a lot of questions. And he answered all their questions. And to the point that they could no longer ask him questions, especially those who were opposed to him. So this evening I believe that God uh, will help us. And I want us all to share a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you this evening in the name of Jesus. We commit the service into your hands. We pray in Jesus' name that your Holy Spirit, who is the great teacher, will speak and answer all the questions. In the end, we shall be strong, stable, matured Christians to the glory of God. In Jesus' name we pray. We bind every spirit that is not of God. We bind powers of darkness. We cast them out in the name of Jesus. We pray against every limitation of darkness and every interferences with technology and smooth transmission of this broadcast. We pray in Jesus' name that the word of God will have free course in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you very much, Papa. You're welcome. So Bishop is sitting down and we are here to ask our questions and he is going to use the Bible. Amen to answer our questions so that we know that he's not just saying them. There are scriptural bases to the answers that he's given us. Amen. Amen. So, as usual, we have a few questions that have already come through into our email, and we are going to start off with that. But um, as we go on, if you have a follow-up question or even if you have a new question, and please send it through, and we will pick it up. Amen. 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 And with your permission, I'd like to start. Bishop. Yes. Okay, so um, our very first question is about evangelism. Mm. And uh, in this church, we love evangelism because we believe that we've been called to raise and establish New Testament Christians and to raise and establish New Testament churches. So the question we have is, what is evangelism? When you go out and give tracts, are you evangelizing or do you actually have to talk to someone before it is considered evangelism? All right, okay. So evangelism is a very big word. Um, but it's, it is from the Greek wangelon, and that means good news. Um, so announcing the good news. And what is the good news? The good news is that once upon a time, due to the wrong decisions made by man, we missed God's plan for us in the Garden of Eden. And as a result of that, man fell from the glory of God. Uh, so we lost connection with God. We died spiritually. And so God took a step that the only solution to this crisis, that he loves his creation, but we have created a situation as a result of the sin and the fall, uh, that we are now in an atmosphere in which God cannot live and God also lives in an atmosphere in which we can't live, but we are both in love. Um, so as I wrote in my book on the, doing the master's will, that our situation could be likened to the story of the bird and the fish who were in love. Uh, but that the fish 
lives in an atmosphere in which the bird cannot live. And the bird also lives in an atmosphere in which the fish could not live. Um, so the bird is in love with the fish, but he can't live in water. So one can't relocate uh, to consummate the love. And the bird too is in an atmosphere in which if the fish moves, it will die because it cannot function in a situation where there's no water. And so when man sinned, the situation that was created was that God lives in an holy atmosphere in which our sinful nature cannot stay in. And we are also in a situation where God can't come and stay in. And the only solution was for God himself, the son of God, to pay that price for the salvation of humanity. Um, and as a result of that, the Bible teaches us that we must go out and tell the rest of creation that despite our sinful nature, God has produced a very powerful bleach that can wash away our sins. And that bleach is the blood of Jesus Christ. And the washing machine is Jesus Christ himself. So when you get into Jesus, the detergent will wash you, the blood will wash you. And therefore, Paul summarizes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, when he says, I present to you that which was also presented to me, that how our Lord Jesus Christ was crucified, was buried, and he rose again on the third day. And he said, this is the gospel that is presented. So the gospel is the announcement of the good news that God loved us and that though we have sinned and the consequences would have been death, God sent his only begotten son to die and pay the price that we should have paid and then we are redeemed and saved. And we are to announce that to every creature. Now to the question now, um, therefore evangelism is according to uh, Matthew chapter uh, 28, uh, verse 18 to, to 20, it says that Jesus said, go ye into the world and preach the gospel. So now we know what the gospel is to every creature. Then it says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then he says, and teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. And then he says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So evangelism has two dimensions. First of all, there must be an individual who has the gospel presenting it to another person. And then after presentation of the gospel to the person, lead that person to accept the message of Jesus Christ and accept the offer of salvation that God has provided. And then we are supposed to continue to teach them until they have become established in the faith. So our evangelism is not complete until the second aspect of the teaching has taken place. So we first make an announcement, go and preach the gospel. Or when it says go and teach all nations, the first teaching is announcement to people who don't know Jesus that this is the plan of God for you. Then after they have accepted the message, we are supposed to disciple them until they, they become saved. So our evangelism is two parts. One part is the announcement. There must be the acceptance of the message. And then there's also the discipleship process. Now the question there was that also that, is it that when you give tracts, you have done the work? Uh, it can be a yes and no situation. Uh, yes and no in that when we say the yes, provided the person you give the tract to, read it and made a response. Um, if the person just threw it away, uh, we have not preached the gospel to the person. You know, we just dangled something in the person's face, but the person has not digested the message yet. We are to deliver the message. You know, so whenever we say we have won a soul, 
You know, that means that we have actually, it's just like you go and play a tournament. You bring the trophy home so we can see it sitting there. And, and that is the soul that has been won. So if the person did not respond to the message, um, if we just gave the tract and the person did not read it, then we haven't done it. We must be able to engage and speak to the person. And if we look into the scriptures, there was an engagement. And there must be deliberate engagement. Otherwise, we will do lazy evangelism. All that we need to do is just scatter some tracks around. Father, I've done it. You know, and so bless me now. Uh, I've done it. I've qualified. But frankly, nobody read it. And indeed, you can have a tract, hand it over to someone. I mean, we see that occasionally in Britain. When you go on evangelism, we've got our tracts. But sometimes we meet a group of Polish nationals uh, from Eastern Europe whose English itself is not very good. So you can imagine that you think you have given this person a tract. He can't read it, you know, really. So he can't get the message. So it would be a great deception to walk home and say, oh, well, all the hundred tracts got finished today. <laughs> if you give it to Romanians and Ukrainians and, and Polish nationals, it, it's just, and they don't really, having picked up their English, really, we have done nothing. You know, so uh, there must be an engagement and there must be a message sent and there must be a response. Because in the scriptures, we see the pattern. When the apostles preached on the day of Pentecost, Peter presented Christ. There was a response from the people. They said, what shall we do? The next time Philip went to Samaria, the Bible says, and the people responded. The next time Paul was put in prison and he preached the gospel, the, the head of the prison came and said, what shall I do to be saved? You see, so throughout, there must be the teaching of the word and there must be a response uh, of the message. And then like the Ethiopian eunuch, Philip preached to him. It was he who then said, this is water. What stops me from being baptized? And then Philip said, only if you believe. That is, if you have understood what has been presented to you. And he said, I believe that Jesus is the son of God. And so upon the strength of that statement, he was baptized. So there have to be that connection. And there is also the aspect where we would have presented the tract. Of course, we have a few testimonies of that in the past, where somebody got it, read it, and was convicted, and therefore made a phone call, and then we completed the process. Some people too, because there's a, what is technically called the sinner's prayer, even though there's nothing called sinner's prayer in the Bible, but a prayer that guides someone who doesn't know the Lord to be able to pray the prayer of forgiveness for Christ to um, come into his heart. Um, sometimes may be at the back of the tract. So that person may follow that and pray in their room and they get filled with the Holy Spirit. That's genuine conviction. So it can work both ways. But practically, it is important that we speak to someone so that we don't make assumptions that we will send a message. Uh, but we haven't sent a message. Um, I hope my explanation is... It's fine. Yes, Papa. Thank you very much. So we shouldn't do lazy evangelism. Um, it's, our evangelism is not complete until we have actually brought somebody and established the person in church. So, um, and we have examples in the Bible where people always spoke to people to get the response. Amen. 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 Papa, just, just a follow-up question to yes. that. If you live in a place where... Um, evangelism is a bit frowned upon. So I think in some of the Muslim countries, you mm. can't just go about speaking to people mm. um, like that without getting into trouble. In that case, is it enough to just then give tracts and pray 
that the tracks will minister to people and maybe only speak to people um, based on direction so you don't get into trouble or should you get into trouble because it is the word of God and we know Paul got into a lot of trouble for it. So That's right. Do you then break the rules of the land to do evangelism? Right, okay. Um, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 13 verse 1 that the powers that be are ordained of God. The governmental authorities in nations are ordained by God. We are supposed to be uh, law-abiding citizens. Um, but there are certain countries that frown, um, the Christianity is frowned upon, or it is illegal to preach the gospel publicly and openly. But there is that overriding law of God for every believer to preach the gospel. Um, and so, first of all, we have to understand that the director of operations for evangelism is the Holy Spirit. So we go to him for prayer, for, through prayer and receive counsel and direction. Um, you notice in Acts chapter 13 that the Holy Spirit sent Paul and Barnabas. He said, separate them unto me for the work I've called them. So they were called on a missionary uh, journey of, of which at the end of which they became apostles. Um, but much as the general instruction is there that we must preach the gospel to every creature, go everywhere and preach, there's also the specific instruction of the Lord as to which location and how to go about it. And when they, they left, they planted churches in various places. But then the Bible tells us in chapter 16, three chapters later, that when they left one particular location, they wanted to go to a particular place, and the Holy Spirit stopped them. They wanted to go to Asia. The Spirit of God said no. They wanted to go to Bithynia. The Spirit of God said no. They wanted to go to another place. The Spirit of God said no. And then a vision appeared to Paul in the night and said, go to Macedonia. And so they went to Macedonia and preached the gospel there. Um, about four or six chapters later, um, this is chapter 16, so around chapter 21, they finally went to Asia. The Holy Spirit now led them there. So there is a general direction and there's a specific direction. So if we find ourselves in a Muslim country, um, first of all, you look at the community and you realize this is the law there. But the word of God supersedes that. So we start it off with prayer. In actual fact, evangelism itself starts in the spirit realm. So you intercede over the community and pray that the Holy Spirit would create conditions by which you will be able to share the gospel. And so the spirit of God will have to lead. You know, sometimes, even in some of the places where we are, we may not need a tract. The spirit of God may use a different direction altogether. So we need to be very much... Um, dependent on the Holy Spirit in this assignment more than methods of men. It may work somewhere because they were led by the Spirit of God, but we may be led differently by the Spirit of God, even in the design of our tracts. And so we, we find ourselves in such a community, the Holy Spirit, through intercession, continuous intercession for the salvation of the people because it's the will of God that no one should perish but that all should come to repentance. And so because of that, when we pray that way, the Lord knows how to create the conditions. I mean, some of the places Paul preached were typically pagan communities. When he found himself in Athens, you find out that he spoke for a long time. Only a few people got saved. The rest of all the Epicureans and professors of, of, of atheism and all those people, they didn't believe him. They made mockery of the resurrection. But one door kept opening. 
you see, in Ephesus, which was also the center of religious, uh, of um, paganism and idol worship, the headquarters of Diana, the, the goddess, um, the Bible teaches us that when Paul got there, the only way the door opened was for Lydia to receive the message. Her heart, her heart was opened by the Holy Spirit, and then she allowed Paul to come into her house. Her household got saved, and through her influence, one by one, the church in Ephesus was planted. So there is the leading of the Holy Spirit in that direction, and there's no land that will not be saved. It's except that we are not waiting on God for directions enough. We just go with the same strategy that has worked somewhere. But I believe that when we look into the scriptures, we will see different methods led by the Holy Spirit for the conversion and salvation of people. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Papa. So the Holy Spirit is the director of operations for evangelism. And we must wait on him and rely on him for directions. Amen. 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 Thank you very much. Um, we are moving on um, to a very interesting question. <laughs> um, so, touch not the Lord's anointed. Uh, we hear that a lot, and we see that in Psalms 105, verse 13 to 15, and First Chronicles 16, 22. So, we have two questions related to that, which shows it's quite a popular um, scripture. So the first one says that men of God seem to use that scripture a lot when they are being criticized. Why? Because the first one is why do men of God use it? Why do men of God use it when they are criticized? (laughs) And then I'll add the second one so maybe you can answer them together. Yes, please. Or do you want me to hold on and... um, Uh, No, let me answer this this one one then so that you can... See, if they are two different questions, then they are the same question around the same thing, but different different dimensions. Okay. Uh, Thank you for the question. Touch not my anointed. Do my prophets no harm. Uh, This is God's statement. And the Bible says that he he punished kings for the sake of his anointed. Um, It is a very clear and instructive scripture about God's intentions concerning his anointed. Um, However, I don't think that's God's intention for declaring his mind over the jealousy he exhibits over his anointed is in relation to uh, denying people from criticizing um, his servants. Um, As we always know, uh, there are two forms of criticism. There is destructive criticism and constructive criticism. Uh, When we look into the scriptures, constructive criticism is welcome. Um, and again, this God we serve is a very mysterious God. His ways are not our ways. Um, so we need to be very careful uh, when we are dealing with his servants. People have the opportunity as children of God to have an opinion uh, when it comes to something in the house of God. Maybe they can ask a question. They can maybe disagree over something, you know. There, there are certain things, for instance, if it takes a ministry, a church, for instance, the name of the church, that, that one is, is, is it only in the power of the one who was called to found the church because he met God. He was at the burning bush. He met God. You were not there. When God called Moses, he was alone there. So there are certain things that falls within the remit of only the founder. 
because you were not there when God called him. You don't know what God told him. So it's like Moses coming to say, let my people go. And somebody's trying to argue with him about that. You were not there at the burning bush. But of course, if we have to go and do evangelism in Birmingham, and I said, I think let's go, let's go and hire a bus uh, to take everybody there. And somebody comes to say, Pastor, I think probably the bus may be too expensive. Uh, why don't we just try the trains? Not that we'll own the train, but if everybody gets a train ticket and gets in and out, that will be safer. See, that is a constructive criticism, but it has got a solution. And then you weigh the thing. So in those places where sometimes this is used in the wrong way, it, it shuts everybody down. You just, you just can't suggest otherwise. But if you look at David, he's heavily anointed. He's one of the reasons why God said, touch not my anointed. And yet his men could offer alternative suggestions to him uh, when he holds a council meeting. Jesus did the same thing with his men. They could offer ideas, and sometimes they miss their way, like the way Peter uh, missed the revelation concerning uh, the death on the cross. And the Bible says that he, he, he decided to rebuke Jesus. You see, then now you are stepping out of <laughs> boundary. You know, and Jesus, uh, the Bible says, Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. You know, so um, when it comes to that, it doesn't mean that people cannot have an alternative view to suggest, but we must do it respectfully. Um, so when people say, don't touch my anointed, um, I think in the context of scripture, it is not really in terms of criticism, unless it's destructive criticism, uh, but it is more of an attack on the person or a physical assault on the man of God. Uh, or the woman of God. So when it says, touch not my anointing, the Bible says he rebuked kings for, for their sake. Uh, so if you are going to attack a man of God, of course we can attack a man of God verbally because our words are like swords. And so character assassination, all these things, they are part of touch not my anointed because you don't know when this God can strike. Uh, so sometimes we can be very nice and maybe deceive you to say, oh, don't mind it, it's, it's all right, we are all the same. I can tell you this God is a different God. He doesn't think the way we think. Uh, many times in scripture, he has acted before the man of God even realizes that something is going on. I mean, it was Abraham who decided to save his skin and coach his wife to lie that they are not married and that it is his sister. Um, Abimelech the king, king of Jerah, um, got the message. And then he said, okay, that's your sister, that's mine. He's interested in her. He took Sarah to his bedroom. Uh, but before he could touch her that night, the Bible says God came and said to Abimelech, number one, God said, you are a dead man. Okay. Two, all the males in your family, I have made them sterile already before coming to visit you. I have also made all the women in your family infertile. And then all beasts animals. What, they, what have they also done? God says he has made all of them sterile. In fact, before he even comes to announce to you you are dead, for taking the man of God's wife, he has already moved. Abraham may not have prayed, but the covenant over his calling has moved for God to protect. So we need to be very careful, but I'm saying that it is not in the context that one can't have an, a view. We can constructively you know, criticize. We can come up with alternative ideas to what pastor came up with. And it's not in a rude way. It is when we start approaching things from a rude way, when we start approaching the servant of God as if we are dealing with a politician. 
you know, even politicians, if you are a Christian and you follow the scriptures, you are not supposed to be rude to a politician. The Bible is clear. It says we must respect them. You know, so that is the context. Uh, but sometimes to stifle divergent views, it has been used negatively to say, no, don't speak here, don't do it. So God gives us different people and their suggestions and ideas help to run the ministry. God called Moses, but he gave him Aaron and Miriam. God called David, he gave him men and women who has, whose heart he has touched to stand with him. And they gave ideas that helped the matter. Moses was the one who went up the mountain. He received architectural drawings of the temple. He is not a designer. He doesn't know how to do it. Aholiab and Bezalel were anointed to handle that aspect of things. Um, many times you see Jesus had a setup in his ministry. And you find out that he has got an organizational setup. I mean, someone like Philip appears to be like the one in charge of, as if he's the, he's the um, you know, chief of staff. Um, anytime someone is looking for Jesus, you have to go through him. And when Jesus was um, wanted to multiply bread, uh, he first of all called Philip and said, how much do we have in the coffers? But, but we know there was a treasurer. That's Judas. But immediately, Philip was able to say that this is what we have in the coffers. What makes him that? It looks like he's the head of administration or something. And he's actually, he knows what is in the coffers, much as there's a treasurer too. Uh, the Greeks wanted to see Jesus. The Bible said they came to the disciples and they went to Philip and said, Sir, we want to see Jesus. You know, so everything goes through Philip in a way. Now, Jesus needed all this team around him and sometimes asked them for their opinion. Some may disagree with some of the things he will say and later on he will coach them the right way. So church should not stifle people from talking. But we, at the same time, must also be very respectful when we are given the opportunity. Uh, but touch not my anointed typically is more about defense of the servant of God or the people of God. Um, that God's grace is upon and therefore he will not allow anyone to just do them harm. Uh, that's basically the case. But it doesn't mean that we cannot uh, hold a different view to what pastor is saying. Uh, but we mustn't also hold that different view with disrespect. In some places, I think that is the reason why they, they cut it completely because people become familiar and don't know the difference between being given a privilege to ask a question or to speak. And they just immediately start wanting to be rude to the servants of God and, and think that by being rude, they have made their point. But that is not the case. You may be rude to the servant of God, but the God who called him, they interpret it differently. And if we look into the scriptures, we see quite a lot of examples of that. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, Papa. So um, just to summarize, just to make sure that I, we got it right, Papa. Um, that scripture, touch not my anointed, is mostly around defense of the servant of God or a people of God on whom the Lord's anointing is. Um, it should not be used to stifle um, people um, in their opinions. That's right. And that people also need to be respectful um, when they are given their criticisms and their views and opinions. Thank you very much. You're welcome. So I will ask the second question. You've sort of touched it now, but I'll ask anyway. Okay. So it says that um, in the, the two scriptures that I mentioned from Psalms and First Chronicles, the scripture referred to the people of God, the people of Israel, as well as the prophets. Mm. And we know that from the New Testament, we are all anointed of God. So essentially, who is the anointed and why would, um, let's say, a pastor 
say touch not the Lord's anointing, only referring to men of God, but not to the people of God. All right. Okay. Thank you very much for the question. And that is true. From the two scriptures that we you have quoted from, the context of touch not my anointed is... The context of touch not my anointed is in two dimensions. One is on the servant of God that God has called to lead the group. And secondly, on the whole group, especially with Israel, all of them were the anointed of the Lord. He has separated them for his use. So they were. So there are two forms of separations. The group of people that God has called and separated. He separated Israel from the rest of the, of the nations of the world. They were his anointed. In the Old Testament. Then God separated the Levites from the rest of Israel. They were the second level of the anointed of the Lord. Then the third and highest level of the covering is the one that God has called. So like Moses was also of another level. So you see that the same people, when they rose against Moses, God judged them and kept Moses. And he said, why were you not afraid to rise against my anointed? You know, so you ask yourself, that means that there are dimensions of the anointing. Now, back to that question. I've seen some posts on social media these days um, where people are like, we are all the anointed of the Lord. And um, I think it's in context with one particular man of God who um, was pronouncing curses on his, mem- on his members and ex-pastors. And so people have come up defensively to try to... Um, say that, you know, apologetics, from apologetics, we are all the anointed of the Lord. If the anointed one is the one in whom the Holy Spirit is, then everybody in church is anointed. Now, that, that is true to an extent. But when we become very careless in thinking that because we are all anointed, we are all the same as the pastor, it's an error doctrinally. If we walk through the scriptures, we will see the difference. I'll take you from the Old Testament and bring you to the New in a, in a very quick flash. But as I was saying, Moses was called by God. He's anointed by God. Now, it was God who actually also called Miriam and Aaron and anointed them. It was God who called the Levites and anointed them. And yet, when members of the Levites, like um, Abiram and Korah, these are Levites, they were cousins of Moses. When they rose up against Moses, God killed them. And told them they have risen against his servant. I thought we are all equal. You see that there are dimensions. When Miriam and Aaron rose up and they spoke against Moses, God was specific. He said, why were you not afraid to speak against my anointed? Numbers 12. But Miriam, and that's why they were also confident to say, but we too will hear from God. You see, the motive, the motive for the attack, the motive for what you are doing, God judges the motive. So, yes, we are all filled with the Holy Spirit. But then these two, they two, they were filled. In fact, Aaron was called a prophet of God. And at the point where he went to attack Moses, he was the high priest anointed. Miriam is described in the scriptures as a prophetess of God. You can't be prophet or prophetess without an anointing. And yet when they came to speak against Moses, the Bible says they spoke against Moses. So you see, speaking against a man of God, God can rise. But I thought we are the same. But then he said to them, if there is a prophet among you, 
I speak to them in visions and dreams, and you are all prophets. But I want you to know there are levels of the anointing of the prophetic. Then it says, but for Moses, I speak to him face to face. Why were you then not afraid to speak against my servant? So we see the difference here. And when we run through the Old Testament, we see similar patterns of God's separating his servant from the rest. Um, if we come into the New Testament, and of course people say, but that is Old Testament, this is New Testament, where now everybody is filled with the Holy Spirit. Yes, we are all filled with the Holy Spirit, but there's a difference between the pastor and the congregation member. And it is this sort of mistake that people are making that is rather not the wise thing to do, but look into scripture properly. There's a way to express your opinion. But don't think that because we are all filled with the Holy Spirit, we are all equal. There is no one more anointed than the other. If that is the case, certain scriptures will have to be removed from the scriptures. And let's follow that through. The Bible clearly tells us in Ephesians chapter 4 that God has set in the church apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, pastors to equip the believers to do the work of the ministry. If we are all equal, how is it that some people are supposed to equip us? Because the, the prophets, teachers, evangelists, they are not angels. These are, they are human beings, they, your pastor. But it means that even though we are all saved and we are all filled with the Holy Spirit, the pastor is carrying another level of anointing that makes him different from you. You see, so you can't make that erroneous judgment to say, because we are all filled with the Holy Spirit, the pastor is no more anointed than me. Where the scripture clearly says there is a difference. The one who is really carrying the pastoral, apostolic, prophetic, evangelistic, and teaching anointing, that one is different from you. And he is qualified to equip the believers to do the work of the ministry. Now, if we are the same, how do we translate Hebrews 13, 7? Hebrews 13, 17. Hebrews 13, 7 says that we should follow the faith of those who lead us. And it's not talking about government. Those who have taught us the word of God. Maybe let's read that. Let's read that so it will, it will help us. <laughs> let's read that one. Hebrews chapter 13 and the verse number 7. Yes, read it. Hebrews 13, 7. Mm -hmm. Remember those who rule over you, mm -hmm. who have spoken the word of God to you. Let's pause there, because we, we want to really exegete this scripture. <laughs> Remember those who, has, who are... Who rule over you. Who rule over you. So before you get confused that he's talking about government and politicians, he went on to say, those who teach you the word of God. That means that if we are all the same, how is it that some people in the church rule over us? There are some people that teach the word, they rule over us. Okay, please carry on. Whose faith follow, mm -hmm. considering the outcome of their conduct. Amen. Amen. So you must follow their faith too and see the outcome of their conduct, the way they conduct themselves. So we are being told that even in the house of God, there are some people who rule over us. Okay, let's look at verse 17. Verse 17, mm. obey those who rule over you mm. and be submissive, 
for they watch out for your soul as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that will be unprofitable for you. Amen. Amen. So again, if we are all the same, how is it that we have some people that we are told that we must obey those who rule over us? For they watch over your soul. I thought we are all anointed. We are all equal. We are not. There are some in the church who are the pastors. They are anointed in a different way to watch over your soul. They will give an account over your soul. That means you can't be irresponsible in the house. You can't say, I'm also anointed, so I am on my own. I mean, too, I am the anointed. We are the same. The scripture says some people are anointed to watch over your soul, and they will give account to God. And it says you must, you must behave yourself in a way that they, they watch over your soul with joy and not with grief, for it will be unprofitable for you. This scripture is so loaded that you, you have to realize there, there's a great difference, you know. So we may all be anointed to an extent, but when it comes to the ministry, the work of God, God especially anointed some people. And so just like the template in the Old Testament, those like Abiram, Korah, and the others, they thought they were Levites. And even when Moses sent for them, they said, who do you think you are that you want to lord it over us? And they told the messengers that Moses said, said, go and tell Moses, we won't come. Moses called them for him. They said, we won't come. So Moses then prayed. They said, Lord, make the difference clear. Whether you have called me or them, if they died a death that anyone has died before, then you haven't called me. And God just opened the earth and buried these guys. This is scripture. These were so anointed. They were supposed to be anointed too. But there are levels of the anointing. And so we need to really get a balance of this so that it doesn't lead to needless rebellion as I'm seeing over social media. Uh, I was talking to one of them recently. I, I sent him a message. I said, calm down. I know you are angry, but don't make statements that themselves are also unbiblical. You know, because when you start making these comments to say, and so yeah, you don't need anybody's permission. If you are leaving church, you can just leave. I said, remember, you have left. You feel you have been badly treated. You are starting your church. Think. The seed you are sowing out of anger. When the people you have gathered also start walking away and say to you, well, we don't need your permission to walk away, you, you begin to understand. So Sometimes when we are angry, we make statements, but you have to think. Check the scriptures very well and make sure that we are not making a difference. God didn't, we are not making a mistake. God didn't make a mistake in putting pastors in charge of the church. We may know them. They may look like us. They may be our classmates, but they are not the same. So that, that would be my response to, to that. Amen. Amen. And that is a very in-depth response, Papa. Thank you very much. So if you've just joined us, you are welcome to our midweek service this evening. Mm. We are having a very um, informative get understanding service this evening and bishop has just taken us through the very famous quotation about not touching the lord's anointed and he's taught us that we yes we are all anointed but there are different levels of the anointing amen amen, amen. thank you papa you're welcome um i will move on to the next question yes which is also a very interesting one so it's about tithing 
I know you've um, you've taught us about tithing. We've had a few questions as well um, in some of our Get Understanding services about tithing. Mm -hmm. But we have not met this question before. Right. So it says that why does the bishop or the head um, pastor mm -hmm. give his tithe if he is the high priest and if he will also access the offering? <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. Charles, I suspect you as this person. <laughs> <laughs> Before I answer the question, the, the previous question, uh, there's a scripture, First Timothy 5.17 also says that, you know, um, the elders who rule well, the pastors, they are worthy of double honor. You know, it's a double honor. That, that means that if we are all the same, why are we going to honor someone who is a senior pastor who is supposed to receive a double honor? for the work they do, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine are worthy of double honor. So it tells you again, there are distinctions and dimensions. Now back to this question that, um, why should the bishop give his tithe uh, if he is the high priest and he will also assess the offerings? <laughs> so the offering comes to him. It reminds me of, the, of my secretaries and general secretaries in the children's ministry some years ago uh, during the Brazil uh, World Cup. They, they came to me one morning whilst intercession was going on and they came to ask me, I think they sent a delegation of three, three of their spokespersons, one gentleman and two powerful ladies. And they came to ask, you see these children, when they're asking questions, be careful. I'm thankful that I'm dealing with adults here because I can predict where the question is going. But for the children, when they ask one question, you don't know what is coming next. So the question was, um, are you the boss of the church? And it's very early morning. Intercession is going on and I've just arrived and I'm also praying in my corner. And they have money to come in there. Uh, they can assess me anywhere. So they know I'm praying, but they came in and they knew I wouldn't turn them away. So they got in. And the question was, are you the boss of the church? And I just thought, maybe for their level, when they say boss, I think they're trying to mean you are the head of the church. You know, because I know one of them, a four-year-old, has walked up to me, young, wonderful, my, one of my secretaries has told me I, I'm looking very sexy. <laughs> so I, I know their, their language. I think she wants to say I was looking very handsome that day, but probably the sexy is what she knows. And, uh, I said I would deal with appearance to find out what kind of language goes on in the house. <laughs> so this is my secretary generals. They come to me with different things. And so when I was asked whether I'm the boss, um, I look at it and say it would be too complicated to try to explain the difference. So I said, yes. I said, good. So I stood there and said, okay, so uh, that means you are in charge of all the money in the church. And I was confused. I said, yes. I mean, I said, good. So... You, you can have all the money. When, when we finish the chain, when, when you take it for God, isn't it? I said, yes. He said, good. It means that we can go to Brazil. <laughs> I said, well, is that, I mean, I can sponsor all of them to the Olympic Games, to the, to the football match in Brazil. So, you see, where the question was going, they, you can't predict them. When they were asking all this, I didn't know that it was coming to this point. They wanted to be very sure that I'm really in command of the finances of the church. <laughs> and therefore, they know that if I take it on behalf of God, I can give it to them. <laughs> and I can sponsor their trip to Brazil. Um, so, 
in, in this same context of um, whether the bishop tithes, yes, bishop is supposed to tithe. Every pastor must take the lead in tithing. Um, we understand tithing as a very powerful um, way by which we connect with God and worship God. First of all, let me summarize tithing. That it is one-tenth of every blessing that God has given to us. Um, it includes both money and time. But when it comes to the tithing, we see that we tithe to God. Sorry. Through the priesthood. Now, the first, there are three priests or three high priests that will help us understand that tithing is still relevant today. The first high priest is Melchizedek, Genesis 14. Abraham met him and gave him tithes. And the Bible described Melchizedek as priest of the most high God. Without father or mother, without beginning of days, no end of days. The next high priest, so this one happened 400 years before Moses. And the next high priest was Aaron. So you notice that Abraham gave tithes, not by law, but by voluntary understanding of his relationship with God and God being the supplier of all things, honored him with one-tenth of his blessings. We see later on that Jacob did that. But then when we come into the second high priest, that was Aaron. Aaron was from the tribe of Levi. He was made high priest. And his line of high priests and priests received the tithes on behalf of the people. Remember, again, this is anointed. The people of God are anointed. Yet they brought their tithes to one of them. Not everybody was qualified to receive the tithe, even though all the children of Israel are anointed. So again, when we spread this anointing argument, we're going to have chaos in church. But God is the God of order. So the people of Israel were also anointed, yet they brought their tithes to the high priest Aaron. And that one was by law. Then the third high priest is Jesus Christ. Hebrews 6, 7, 8, 9. We see it there. Jesus Christ is our high priest and he's the high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So that high priest is still high priest even up to this evening. Christ is still the high priest of his people. So much as his savior, he's still the high priest and he's the high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And to every covenant, there is a priesthood. So there was a covenant, the Melchizedek, there is the high priesthood of Aaron, which was based on the first covenant on Mount Sinai. And there is the, the covenant of Christ on Mount Calvary, where Christ covenants with us in our salvation. And the Bible says that the new covenant, uh, the blood of Christ, the new covenant is inside the blood of Christ. And so that is what ratifies our salvation. Now, Christ is the high priest after the order of Melchizedek. That is an endless priesthood. And so that endless priesthood still receives tithes. Now, when I give tithe as the senior pastor, 
I don't give tithe because my salary comes from tithe. I give tithe to the ministry because the ministry is bigger than me. That's why the ministry will outlive me. So I don't give to myself. I understand that every altar has a high priest. And I understand that every calling of God and ministry, there is that altar of God there. So when I give my tithe, I pray like everybody prays. I prepare like everybody prepares. And I give because I give to the ministry that Christ has called us into. And I give to Christ through the ministry. Because the ministry through Christ is bigger than any man and bigger than anybody. And if you check your scriptures, you realize that when Aaron receives the tenth, all the priests, in fact, all the Levites, when they receive the tithes, they also tithe it. They tithe the tithe. You know, so you realize that even they, they are not exempted. They receive it and they tithe the tithe. And it's tied to the high priest. And God said, I have given that for him to receive on my behalf. So again, you are even careful how you handle it. To, to be asked to take something on behalf of God is a serious matter. You know, so it, we shouldn't make the assumption that, oh, but because he's the pastor, he's going to, after all, he's coming to him. No. <laughs> so, so I don't give. No, I give to God who blesses me. And I honor him because of my relationship with him and my understanding of who he is. So it is not by law, it's not by compulsion, but by revelation of who God is. That is how Abraham responded. That is how the patriarchs responded. And that's how we are supposed to respond to the high priesthood of Christ. So we give to the ministry of the priesthood, not just to a church building or to a person. So we, we do, we give in that context. Now, um, yeah, so the fact that pastor can access the account because of his position, it doesn't mean that he can abuse it. Some people may have abused it, but when you have a fear of God, you know your limits. See, we must always have a fear of God. That the moment offerings are received and tithes are received, prayer is prayed over it and say, we dedicate this to God. You can't just go about just taking them anyhow. No, you can't. Well, others may be doing that, but this God has a way of judging. But everyone must have a fear of God. The fact that I have, by, by reason of the fact that I'm founder of the church, I have setting power and authority, but it is not abused. Otherwise, the church will not come this far. You know, if they, when you give birth to something, you don't kill it. You jealously protect it. You know, so you can't, you can't do that. And again, if you look at the word of God, you must actually handle the offerings with the fear of God. Because they belong to God. You are just a steward of God. You know, so that is very, very important. You know, sometimes people say, oh, yes, how about these other churches? You know, they've got committees that handle all these things. Those ones you are comparing, are their founders alive? When the founders leave, there's a way things are done. When the founders are around, they, they lead a vision. They are leading it to a certain point. But of course, they don't abuse them. Any genuine founder of God will not abuse the offerings. If you fear God, you can't take it and just take it anyhow. No. Whatever is agreed will be your lot as salary if you are in full-time ministry. That's what you take. That's what is taken and given to you. you know, but you don't go about taking things. You know. And even when the church hadn't gotten to this point, when we were very young and we 
our first fundraising uh, for musical equipment. Uh, Pastor Daniel will know what I'm talking about. Years ago, uh, at Independence Avenue at Mokola in Accra, we did fundraising. Back then, we had 1.8 million CDs, the old CDs. 1.8 million. That evening, it was brought to my house. The Monday morning, I had an emergency. I need to rush my wife to hospital. I know the man was there. I got to the place. Even though I'm a staff in the place, I was required to, because it was a private clinic, I was required to make some down payments before. They will reimburse me later on, but you have to put that. I didn't have that on me. I know I have this money at the house. I didn't take it. When I left her in safe hands, I came back, took the money, and went to the bank and deposited it. The whole money. Some time ago when I told some pastors, one person said, ah, he is not a fool. He should have taken, he, no, no, this one, he would have taken. No, I didn't. And I saw an immediate hand of God. When I left the bank, I met a man just as I was coming out of the bank. He said, ah, I haven't seen you in a very long time. Oh, you know, please give me a few minutes. He rushed to his car and came with an envelope. Back then it was 500,000 CDs, you know, cash. He gave me. When I came out, Another person blessed me. But before I went back to see my wife, I've been blessed. You see, I refused to take that because I knew it belongs to God. It's not for domestic emergency. It is for God's house. So that discipline has been there. It's sad that sometimes people judge us by other people's misbehavior. But when it comes to that discipline, the fear of God informs our conduct towards the resources of God in the house. If you are general overseer, you are general overseer over the choir, over the offerings, over everything. One day when you stand before God, he will question you on all of that. We, our duty as believers is to leave that judgment to God and do your part in giving your tithe to the work of God and to the things of God. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, Papa. So the offerings and the tithes do not belong to the shop. It does not belong to senior pastors. It belongs to God, and That's they right. only receive it on behalf of God, That's and right. they are supposed to handle it accordingly. Right. And tithing is not by compulsion. It's not by law. It is because of your understanding of who God is. Right. Amen. Amen. And that's why bishops and senior pastors also need to tithe right. and um, be an example to the rest of us. That's right. Amen. 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 If, you, if you believe something, why don't you do it? If you believe in prayer and you teach people prayer, then you should pray. If you say people give their tithes, God will bless them. Why are you not giving your tithe? You must give your tithe. And God will bless you too. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. We are moving on um, this evening in our mm -hmm. journey. And um, I have another question here. So this one is about the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. And it says that the church is made up of several different churches. So the body of Christ mm -hmm. is made up of several different churches. Um, but it appears that we are divided, and sometimes we even seem to compete amongst ourselves. How does this stand against the scripture that says that we are all members of one body and should be supporting each other? Will the church ever be united? Hallelujah. <laughs> what a question. It, it appears Jesus foresaw this, and in his high priestly prayer in John 17... He said that they may be one. Presbyterian motto. That they all may be one. As we are one. Christ prayed that we all will be one. 
sadly, much as it was even a prayer topic of Christ himself, the body is not united. And I think that there are many factors to this. Uh, I believe that the first thing is that there is a clear loss of connection with the Holy Spirit. A lot of things are being done in the flesh. Um, You can see very clearly a lot of competition in the body of Christ. And for me, it worries me. Um, And there's too many copying of things. I mean, on social media, you just... I mean, you, you, you ask yourself, so you two, you are called by God. If you are copying something, at least copyright. I mean, we've got a whole church motto copied by another church. I mean, two churches just within our vicinity. You know, I mean, so wouldn't you change something small about it? I mean, so, so said, which God called you? Did you have to see your hours before you did yours? You know, names that we give to our various services. This new church just around the corner. As they say, Sunday service, victory service. You know, just change one word from, you know, changing lives, fulfilling destinies. Same, same tune. You know, you ask yourself, which, so you, no, no motivation at all. I mean, the other time, you know, one of our flyers was taken, and the only thing that is a difference is that the person. You know, my head has been taken off and the person has put his head. That, that's it. And one of my pastor friends do the same thing. I mean, the shirt, he, it's a shirt we always talk about. You know, he's wearing that shirt. Another church pastor is wearing the same shirt, the same watch, just that the head has been taken and another one put there. I mean, what kind of, can't you be creative at all? Which Holy Ghost called you? You know, you can't be creative. But that, this is just a sign of the kind of competition that is going on. Now, if we understand the work of the ministry, we will not be competing among ourselves because depending on the grace of God and anointing on my life and our ministry, there will be certain groups of people that only we can reach. And there are some people who will never be able to reach them. The scripture says a man can receive nothing except it be given to him from above. You know, but these days, once these ones are doing it, no, let's also do it. You know, so we're also going to do it. We're also going to do it. We're also going to do it. And sometimes you find out that it doesn't work. Um, if another church is doing well, somebody is not happy. I mean, I'm a senior pastor. There are things that sometimes you, you get to know and it surprises you. you know, and sometimes you are not able to connect with certain kinds of ministers. Um, not because you don't want to relate, but that environment is becoming toxic and it doesn't have the Holy Spirit. I mean, if another pastor... Uh, gets into some attack and is having a misfortune, you find another pastor is happy. Yeah, I mean, when we lost our church building in, in Abbeywood, I have a very senior man of God called me and say, man of God, be strong. I was just in um, a ceremony. I met one or two others there. And I could hear what they are saying. That, yeah, but we were here before Hansinsaki came. And who does he think he is? That now he's lost his place. We are at the same level. You know, can you imagine? I, I mean, in the scriptures, I've never seen it anywhere written and a demon rose against a demon. But in the body of Christ today, we see a church rising against another church. We see a church undermining another church. I mean, we experience that. Sometimes one of the reasons why we keep a lot of things, you know, secret and we are accused of being secret is because you don't know what we have seen before. 
when you find a church building and you are interested in it, you come to church, announce it. We have seen this building. We are going for it. The next time, some, another church has heard about it because we made the announcement. And you never know who in church was also happily sharing it with someone. Another church hears about it. And the next thing you hear, they have gone to see the landlord. They say, uh-huh, Christ Church, how much are they offering for this place? Oh, we, we will pay double. And then you lose the place. So now when we found a place, we didn't say anything until we have signed things to a certain point. Then we come and say it. And that's, that's what informs this. But, so we can see back to this question. There's a lot of needless competition going on because people are not spiritual. It also tells us that a lot of people are doing things that they have not been called by God to do. A lot of people are broken away from churches that they are not supposed to break away from. You may disagree administratively, but it doesn't mean go and start your own church. When you go and start your own church based on some of these things that God has not called you to start, you will be compelled to want to break through at all costs to prove the other people that you too you are called. It is this sort of trying to prove that you end up doing all kinds of things, you know, to look, to look successful when actually you are not successful or you are not called. So you begin to hate the other church and this should not be, this should be what the devil should be doing. But the body of Christ should be a united body. And Paul used the human body to show us that can the finger say, I don't need the eye? It's not possible. So some church may be doing something and they have been called by God to emphasize a particular message. Let's stick to where we are, what God has called us. Let's also emphasize our message and let's augment and supplement and support each other because what someone will emphasize will be different from what another is emphasizing. That's the reason why we have got different ministries because it's the same big vineyard of God but one vineyard, one part of the vineyard, you have been called to farm cocoa. Stick to it. The other one has been asked to farm tomato. Let's fix on that. So another one has been asked to farm Holy Ghost. Teach on that. Another faith. Teach on that. We all teach all the things, but you see that this ministry, their emphasis on this one is strong. It tells you this is where their ministry lies. So we don't need to copy needlessly from there. We need to support it and move it. But today, you're having a program. You invite this church. They are not coming. This one is not coming because this one, don't go there. This, as if we are worshiping idols. It's that spirit. And I think that that must be discarded. People must look at the work of God with the eye of God. The greatest enemy we have is the devil, not each other. But there are so many things that have caused divisions. I mean, there are, there are a lot of pastoral associations that others don't attend. You know, don't connect to. Because there's somebody there that maybe I don't agree with or doesn't agree with somebody. You know, I was being interviewed some other time and I, I cited a very practical example. The man of God was surprised. And I, I told him, I said, that is the reason. I said, yes, you are leading that organization. But when somebody left my church and came to tell you things, you never asked my side of the story. You encourage them to leave. Why do you think I should come and be part of an association where you have actually worked against me you didn't check my side. The scripture says if you have anything against anybody, go to the person. So if somebody left church A to come to tell you, and our pastor is this, and is this, that's why I've left, and you are a pastor, and you know him, call him and get his side of the story. You know, the way we relate with my friends, if somebody left their church and they come to me, I will call them and say, what happened here? Because don't be excited somebody left and came, especially if they are leaders. Because you need to find out whether they were rude to authority. Because if you receive them, it will take a few weeks and months. They will repeat the same thing to you. 
And then you see these people just circulating around like that. So you need to be very careful about this. But these are some of the things that go on. So sometimes you talk to some men of God, say, oh, that pastoral association, I don't want to be part of it. All those people there, this is what they did to me some years ago. This, you know, so there's that kind of thing going on. It's always good to make sure that we settle some of these differences in the body so that there can be clear unity within the house of God uh, and the body of Christ in general. It's too divided. So whoever asked this question has been a very good observer. <laughs> uh, my prescription would be that we need to break down certain limitations. We need to, every minister, break, come down, swallow your pride, go and relate. Some things that somebody's you have done against you that you are not happy with, go and you know, mention the thing and let's resolve it. Because that is one of the reasons why that is going on. There's so much of this. I mean, people break away from churches. Other ministers get offended because this one goes to Pastor A and then he just supports them with instruments and money and say, don't worry, start your own. You know, if the other person hears, it's just like, why are we all in this, you know, Pentecostal fellowship <laughs> when you are doing this one? You know, I'm not saying people can't leave, but won't you check my side of the story? What did you say to them? Did you also, you know, malign me to them to encourage them to leave? So in that case, when I hear it, I'm careful where you are. You know, I don't support anything you do. And that's kind of circle, it goes on and on. And so there's a lot of toxicity within the body of Christ. And it's not helping the body. That's why we're not seeing the movement of God, the power of God, because the power of God is released in a united atmosphere. And that explains some of the situations in, for instance, Ghana, where when we were growing up and there's so much power of God in terms of the movement of Pentecostalism and charismatism. You can't see fetish priests coming out. They all disappeared. Today, you go back there to their advertising on TV. You know, you have this bishop comes to preach and after that, next program, Obusum, this is just, you know, this, uh, <laughs> uh, that, that is also, is also coming to advertise freely. Those days when, when the movement of God was going, only for cancer, those people, they disappeared. They disappeared. They, they can't come anywhere. The power of God was at work. But today, division has managed to make the enemy come back. And I, I was being interviewed on one of the FM stations in Ghana. And I said, it is like, you know, if you had, um, you know, an insecticide. In a spray, in a in a in a in a, in a maybe like a that spray, the insecticide, the, in the can, and you know you just spray, just three, three of that, you know, um, you just release three in a room, and close the room for thirty minutes. When you come back, you see all these cockroaches wherever they were hiding, they are all dead. But now you are having a situation where you now have about. 100 cans. You are spread all in the room. And you come back and they are now walking freely in it. That's exactly what's happening. So much division. Now all these fetish priests and all these, they are all now freely on air, marching you boot for boot. They too, they come and prophesy. This one come and say this. You know, I say people come and, come and see them. How, how are they bold to do that when they are supposed to be the presence of God? It's not there because there's too much division in the body. And that must stop. We must go back to what is priority. The work of God. The will of God. Is this in the interest of God or is it a personal thing? And sadly, that's why some people think church work is business. You know, it's, it's some, somebody has just said it's, it's a business. You know, not, not all of us are like that. But unfortunately, a lot of people have made it so. Let, let me stop here. I'm talking too much. <laughs> 
Thank you very much, Papa. Um, so I think maybe my question to you is, will it change? Because I know that sometimes when you go out on evangelism, mm -hmm. you meet people who actively resist the word because they see these things happening. And they say, if you cannot be united, I don't know why I should come and be a part of it. And sometimes they compare us to Muslims and they would say that, oh, the Muslims are very united. And you people are claiming that they are not, it's not a good religion. Um, and yet they are united. And we who are supposed to have the good news are not. So what, what will it take mm. to actually make a change or some form of a start to a change right. in this? Um, Indeed, the Muslims, they are divisions, but they have managed to, they managed to uh, publicly cover that. You know, so when you don't know, you just think they are united, but there are a lot of sects you know, within that. And that's why you see among them, they're able to kill one another. You, know, you see Saudi Arabia fighting another Muslim country. I thought it's the same thing. No, because they are different, um, they have different emphasis, doctrinal differences uh, about who is qualified to be prophet and who is the descendant of the prophet and who is the last caliph to come and all of that. They have their own divisions and so they fight. But they, when it comes to public, they are able to publicly have a united front. Now that's what we fail to do. And that's what gives the impression that there is sort of personal agendas more than God's purposes. Indeed, the church has also been infiltrated. But I still, we cannot, we can't blame those who infiltrated. It is the division in the house. It is the loss of proper focus on the calling of God that has led to the enemy getting access. If we were vigilant, the enemy won't get access. Of course, when they saw a trend for a while, some of these magicians and uh, satanic worshippers, you know, they cut off their rasta and their barefooted, you know, way of movement, and they wore shoes and wore suits and then quickly started churches, started prophesying, you know. And again, because there's not a focus on God, but it started moving more onto stomach direction ministry, some of the people who are supposed to be genuine, they started well, supposed to be fathers, started receiving these people without checking with the Holy Spirit whether they are really of God or not. Because miracles alone should not make us see that. You know, miracles alone does not mean that someone is called by God because Satan can also work miracles. The magicians in the palace of Pharaoh threw down their rocks. It also turned into snakes. You know, so that, that, could, be, that could happen. Um, but there is a, there's a way to assess them. Where did they come from all of a sudden? And those were some of the mistakes that started these things. It's only when the people started messing up that you find these fathers now say, I, no, I don't, don't associate my name with him. But where did you start it from? Because they brought big money. It is received. No cross-checking, no references. You know, anywhere someone came from, we must be able to trace where you came from. You can't just appear. That you just appeared. Jesus even just didn't appear. John had to baptize him publicly as a way of validating his ministry for people to accept it. That's why whenever you ask Jesus a question about by what authority are doing this, then he also posed a question. John's, if you tell me where John's authority comes from, I'll tell you mine. He's referring to his alma mater. That, that is the one line. That is, he ordained me. You accept his ministry. If you accept John's ministry, you accept mine. You know, and the people could not answer, and they leave him that way. So if we can't trace where you came from, but a lot of this has been as a result of people buying sonship. You know, so once I can 
pay a certain amount to a certain man of God. Now suddenly, he's my father. You know, fathers are not like suits that we just change and that we buy. And this is the corruption that started in the house. And once this happened, you haven't investigated this person, but because he seems to be having some crowd. And then some of the fathers started committing the same mistakes because these people are doing certain things that makes the crowd go there. You find them also doing the same things, like foot washing. You know, and you see them doing that. And if in the scriptures, you can't, it's not proper in the New Testament. It's never, it's never done in any prophetic way. At best, if it is done, I've always said my recommendation will be at an ordination service. Because Jesus did the foot washing as a way to teach his leaders that they are supposed to be servants of the people. So if at best, it will be there for people to symbolize that. But even in today's context, people no longer go to people's homes where their foot is washed as a way by which a servant serves the person who is attending us. At least it's, it's water that we give. Right? In the days of old, in Bible days, foot washing first. That's why Jesus did that. It was never done in the context of delivering you from a curse from your father's house. So when these magicians who have become pastors are doing it, then those who are supposed to be correct also were copying all this. Now when the congregation, the flock, gets confused as to what is right, they accept everybody. But meanwhile, some of the people that were accepted, it is for their own stomach. They are not kingdom-minded. So they will do a lot of crazy things to mess up the body. And the people get confused as to which one is which. And this is all that is leading to all this division and confusion. Because now when another genuine one stands to say, these ones are wrong. They say, who gave you power to say this one is wrong? You know, and then, oh, you are judging. Who do you think you are? You know, but the scripture is so clear. So then because I spoke against an erroneous practice by another ministry, no, these ones are against us. So now you don't know which one is correct. I believe, back to your question, would this get better? Christ's prayer, I believe, still stands. And we must always pray and believe God for a united house. And I think we can start it somewhere by relationship. Pastors, the various churches must learn to connect and collaborate without feeling the need of insecurity. There's too much insecurity. And it's because of this sort of behavior. There's no fear of God. There's no ethics. You know, ministry ethics is missing. You know, so if my, you, you are having a program. You ask me if I can bring my choir. And in the name of this unity, I ask my choir to come. They finish the service, and you go to the head of the choir and say, can you come next Sunday? Now, you see, this is now behind the back of me. You see, now, if the choir leader doesn't have ministry ethics, she goes. And the next day, say, oh, you know, I can give you some, I can, I can give you some money to be coming regularly, you know, and come, come and train my choir for me. And actually, I mean, we can take care of you comfortably. I mean, we can give you a salary. And, and that's how some churches have taken some members. And that's why some church is against another church. These things have been going on. You know, so th that tells you, are we working in the name of Christ or it is about my empire? Sadly, this is what is going on. It's not supposed to be the case. For us to heal, some of these offenses needs to be addressed. Some of the men of God who have been offended needs to really follow Christ's prescription. Go and meet up that man of God and say, 10 years ago, this is what you did against me. This is why I don't come near you at all. Um, I want to let it go. I believe that if the men of God will start off with forgiving one another, it will be the first step towards the unity that Christ prayed for. 
And when we begin to unite that way, we'll be able to detect the incorrect ones among us. Those who have just come in, Satan has just brought them in because they are seeing an industry. <laughs> and they are just getting through with that. So this is, this is where the, the problem came from. And that's how it should be addressed. Um, again, some men of God also cut off from others because those others who were supposed to know and know better were receiving these fake ones because they are giving their money and dropping their names. You know, so because of that, somebody is upset with that ministry and say, you are receiving wrong guys. You know, because of that, I don't want to have anything to do with you. Um, and, and that also leads to the division. And it goes on and on and on like that. So I believe the starting point is to learn to forgive. Let's be the ministers who take the first step in following scripture. Let's leave our sacrifice at the altar and go and meet that brother, go and meet that man of God and say, I have something against you. This is what is the issue we want to resolve. That's how I believe the starting point for the healing the body of Christ will take place. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, Papa. So we must learn to leave our sacrifices at the altar mm. and go and make amends according to Christ's prescription mm. because Christ's prayer must stand. Amen. 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 I have um, I have two different types of questions now. So I have a question about um, prophets and prophecies, but mm. I think I'll save that and then I'll go because we're talking about division in the body of Christ. Ask these questions, two questions, and then I'll come back to the, the, the prophecy and the prophets one. Yes. So the first one is how do we relate to people who have left church disrespectfully and yet still meddles or tries to meddle in the affairs of the church that they have <laughs> left? Uh, it's as old as the devil himself. He has been cast out from heaven. And the Bible says that when the children of God has gathered, Satan also came among them. So, yes, it's a, it's a very practical question. I know it has created problems in some other places where some churches clearly make it a policy to inform their members not to relate at all with anyone who left the church. Sometimes they make it a blanket rule. The question is very, very uh, practical in that it's saying those who left disrespectfully. Um, in the house of God, any man of God, genuinely called by God, who knows God, knows that people will come into their ministries and sometimes people may leave. No genuine pastor really wants people to leave. There are some people really that pastor wants them to leave. <laughs> because their presence is more destructive than constructive. But in the majority of the cases, 99.99%, pastor would not like anyone to leave. However, some people may be misbehave. Some people may allow the devil to use them to destroy things in the house of God. And so they may become rude, arrogant, and live disrespectfully. Now, anybody who lives disrespectfully has never, will never live with good intentions about the progress of the church. 
Now, such persons will never wish the church to do well. You'll be very naive to think such people live and they wish the church well. No, you, you don't have to be that naive. They don't wish the church well. Now, because they don't wish the church well, they become very dangerous. In Christ church, we don't have such a policy that people live and we tell people don't relate with them. But sometimes experience has shown, and I've seen that in other churches, where if you leave, please leave. But if you keep on calling members of the church to malign the ministry to them, to destroy the pastor to them, character assassinate leaders to them, then we will warn people to be careful of you. And that is very clear in the scriptures. The Bible clearly says, warn those in the church not to relate with those who cause divisions contrary to the doctrines you have received. And so it is only at that point where your relationship with members of the church that you have left is more toxic, destructive than anything. If you meet people in the church, don't ask them questions about the church. You can talk about your business, talk about shoe, talk about traveling. But where you have left and you said it's so bad, don't ask questions about that place because your questions are not in the interest of that place. You make contact with people and tell them to leave the place. Sometimes people leave, you may think they have left respectfully, but they leave without saying anything and they are the ones that also call other people to say things. So there are two different groups of people. Now, so if, if that is the case, then it won't be biblically wrong to guard the work of God that is going on to say, cut off from this person. Yeah, that, that is not wrong. You know, it's just that because in many places it is practiced. Just as some people just, you know, have a blanket rule. If people leave, don't relate. No, some people leave and they are not evil. For whatever their reason they leave, we are not against them. So long as you are not against us. So long as you are not working secretly to frustrate the work of God. But if you are working secretly to frustrate the work of God, the Bible says, let God arise, let his enemies be scattered. So that's one. Um, we will also take precautions. I mean, there's no destructive criticism of the church about this. It's not an evil principle. It is practiced in our homes as well. If you have a child and somebody doesn't like you, even, even your own sibling or your sister or brother doesn't like you and they are not on talking terms with you, you haven't asked your children not to talk to them. But if they start calling your children, and telling them evil things about you, a responsible parent will say, when auntie calls you, don't pick it anymore. And that is not an evil thing. It's because the relationship is destructive to the health of our home. And you are destroying my relationship with my children. So in that case, it is not wrong <laughs> to warn my children about you. And that is the principle. As far as we are concerned, we are fine. But if we have evidence of your nefarious activities, we will warn our people against you because you are a terrorist to the church. And so we will tell the people not to relate with you and we are not sorry for that. We will not be sorry for that. So if you leave, leave. Live in peace. 
And as members of the church, when such people call you and they want to discuss the church, tell them, please, respectfully, since you are no longer in our church, I'm not very comfortable to answer the question you are asking me. Nicely. That's it. It stays like that. If you want to know what goes on in our church, come back and join the church. But if you don't want to know, that's why you left. Why should the place you left be of great interest to you? If I believe there's a place where God has departed from the place, God is not in the place. Why should I be interested in the place? It should not even cross my mind. So, it's a practical thing. And many good ministries have that as a policy. It's not a blanket, oh, people leave the church, don't talk to them. No, we, we don't have such a rule in our church. I mean, people meet people, they greet them. You greet me, good morning, afternoon. We will respond. But you are not going to ask me certain questions about the ministry. And I also don't ask you questions about wherever you are. So let it stay there like that. Let's relate like that until we meet in heaven. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. So it is biblical to warn yeah. against people who cause divisions in the church. Yes. yes. Uh, we don't, as a church, as Christ Church International, we don't have a blanket rule, but um, if you are causing problems, Bishop reserves the right to warn and guard the church. Yes. Amen. Amen. You've sort of answered my second question because mm. it was about how, as church members, mm. should we relate to such people when they come to us seeking information about certain things that we are doing in church? Mm. Like if you are raising funds, for instance, and they mm. come asking, oh, how much, are you, how, how much have you gotten? What are you doing? How do you relate to them? But I think you've, you've answered that already. Yeah. I have a... They are a, not supposed yeah, to. I mean, just not, say nicely, since you are no longer in our church... I'm not comfortable to give you such an answer. I mean, what are you going to do with it? <laughs> Frankly, well, what do you need, how much you have raised for? Do you really want us to have a building? I don't think so. You know, so that, that, sometimes it's good for people to respond to people that way. I think it will kill that very spirit and behavior. Yes. Let's be genuine Christians. Holy Spirit, no hypocrisy. Amen. Amen. I have another follow-up question to that. Yes. So the question says that what about people who have not left but are still within the house and causing divisions from within? How do we relate to these people? The scripture provides two prescriptions. Um, those, you see, the interesting thing is that, and that's why scripture is always correct. In fact, in Timothy, it says that the elders or the leaders that sin rebuke before all that others may fear. Because they are doing something that is not right. Some people just think that church is the place where the rod of discipline is not applied. But it is the place where discipline must be enforced from the beginning. Those who do what you have just described are not new people. They will be old people. People who have been there for long. And that's why the Bible says that such people Two approaches. First, there is a warning to them. See, there's too much diplomacy, especially in our church. And in the coming year, there is not going to be that anymore. Every, I encourage every member of our church who is committed not to allow anybody to make certain comments around them unchallenged. If you hear it, challenge the person straight away. Put them in their place. It will kill this very evil spirit. But back to the issue. When such people are within, they haven't left. 
but they have become like agents and spies of for those who have left. There is once we have evidence of that, you call the person and warn the person. It's not a discussion, it's a warning. First warning. The second one, it will be unannounced. Right in the congregation, you call the person to stand, give the evidence. The third thing is fire the person out of the church. Straight. Is that in the Bible? It says a man, a heretic, after the first and second admonition, reject. Sack. It's in Titus, clearly. So, because the house, what are you there for? If the place is that bad, please leave. It is a characteristic of every living thing to move away from conditions that are not healthy. If you, if you put plants anywhere, if the conditions become bad, they either die or they move away. So in the desert, you won't find certain trees, but there are some animals that are there. There are certain places, once the condition is not good, you leave. But if a condition is not good, and you also say secretly to people, this is a very bad place, blah, 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 and you are still there, I think we have two. The diagnosis is one of the two. One, it's either we are dealing with lunacy or we are dealing with witchcraft. It's one of them. Because if you are all right in your head and a place is not good, you move. Animals move. When the place is not good, they move. Some of the places that have become desert, there were animals that were there. Those who come and they move, their condition is not good for them. Move. But if the place is that bad, you are saying it's bad, and you are still there, then you are an agent of the devil. It's either you are suffering from witchcraft, so you are, you are working, that means you are on assignment to ensure the place continues to be like that. So both ways, when it comes like that, we, we will have to kick you out. We will kick you out. I mean, I, I mean, in our church, I've been restrained in the past few years. But in the coming year, it will be without notice. It will be without notice. Especially with some of the audio evidences. The person you are talking to who has left the church, the person was recording you. And has also passed it on, trying to be loyal and disloyal at the same time. Trying to say, Pastor, I have left, but I'm telling you, some people are at your place. This is the information. So I won't tell you. We will come to church. I just say, Albert, play this one, the tape I gave you, play it out. And you stand, and I'll just walk you out of the church. And I know my place in law. That you are disturbing our lawful assembly, I'll get the police informed already. We will walk you out of the church to make sure that such behaviors stop going forward so we can stay focused on our vision. So, yes, this is how we will treat such terrorists that come among us or become agents of the devil. Fiscal demons will be dealt with physically. Hallelujah. <laughs> May the Lord help us. Amen. 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 So that we learn and know how to behave ourselves in church. Amen. Amen. It is well. <laughs> Amen. <clears throat> okay. Yes, some people they are beyond they are beyond the therapy of talking to. They they have they have become immune. So you have to sack them. You have to sack them. 
or make sure that. You see, when people live like that, they go and lie about the church. So this time we will build our evidence and we'll play it publicly. We won't call you for a private meeting. I'm telling you that those days are over. It's over. It will be played publicly in church. So when you're coming to church, be careful if you are doing those things. Because it will be unpredictable. Amen. <laughs> Someone says it's the year of the road. <laughs> it is the year of the road. It is the year of the road. <laughs> Uh, it is well. Amen. Thank you, Papa. Please, I will. Um, can I go to my prophet and prophecy question? Yes, now? yes, yes. I think we've got some. Yes, we have some time. Yes, yes please. All right. So, um, when you were answering the question on the unity in the body of Christ, you mm. mentioned um, some intruders and some fake uh, magicians and people who have become pastors and all who do all sorts of things in church. Yes. And I think that based on that, some governments have tried to control it. So I think it's in Rwanda or something where they brought a, a regulation that you have to have a, a degree in theology, for instance, before mm. you you're able to um, start a church or lead a church. Mm. And I think in recent times in Ghana as well, we've had the police service say that um, before you give a prophecy, <laughs> there must be evidence of the prophecy. <laughs> um, and that if you don't have evidence to support your prophecy, then you are falling foul of the law. Mm -hmm. So the question we have is, does um, government have the right to um, enter into the affairs of the church and try to regulate the church from the side of law? Right, okay. Um from the side of law, if the constitution of that country, for example, Ghana, it says that the constitution guarantees freedom of association, freedom of religion, and freedom to manifest the religion. So I'm not a lawyer, but looking at freedom to manifest the religion, one of the manifestations of the Christian faith is prophetic ministrations. So government will not have that authority to try to regulate that one. Um, at the same time, how do you produce evidence of an angelic visitation, of a revelation, um, to a court? It's not possible. I think that what government wants to do, on one side, where government is coming from, is in the interest of maintaining public order and peace. Uh, there have been, again, unethical practices where it has become the norm, especially in ministries in Ghana, where every 31st December, the prophetic announcements or pronouncements for the year is about certain politicians, high-ranking officials who will be dying. Uh, 2020, they said some, those people are still alive. You see, so, um, I mean, think about it. Um, I believe that government's intention is good. The police administration's intention is good except that the language and things, if not care is not taken, they will be intruding on the side of law. But probably it, it will be dealt with. But I think that their motive is to make sure that such things uh, doesn't happen, where somebody goes to church and is by 31st December, by this time tomorrow, they have all their list, I'm sure by this time, and getting themselves ready to announce that either the president is going to die, the vice president is going to die, a former leader is going to die. You know, these are people who have got families. 
they have relatives and they are also alive. You know, it creates needless fear in them. If God speaks to you about an individual who might die, go to them privately. We don't need the public, because the thing is for them, why does the public have to know that the president is going to die? The public doesn't have to know that. You know, because it is dangerous on two grounds. So when it comes to, I believe that probably the police statement should have worded it specifically on especially prophecies surrounding death. You see, so it becomes very clear that it is, if a prophecy comes from God, God will not wait for only 31st December before he will come and say that next year, and it's always about the rich, no prophecy about any poor person going to die. You see, and it's very dangerous because um, we, we know of cases where the intention of the prophecies is not glorification of God, but to prove that they are powerful. And to prove that we are powerful should not always be about negative prophecies. I mean, what would you gain if you prophesy somebody is going to die and the person dies? And that makes you what? You know, if God revealed that to you, about someone who is going to die, and the person doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ, and they die, you have actually failed the prophecy. You have failed God for revealing that to you. And God will judge you for that. Because God doesn't want anyone to go to hell. So if he revealed that, and it's not for the public domain. But because some of them, their intention is to prove that they are powerful, there is also the possibility that they can hire people to execute it. You see... And that is what makes it dangerous. And that's why I believe that is where the police is coming from. Um, maybe it may not have been worded correctly, but that will be the intention to prevent such things. And if you have such prophecies, we have national and personal prophecies. If it's a personal prophecy, give the person a call. If God really showed you something about the president, don't you know the president's office? Chief of staff is there. The presidential staff is there. You have to use the proper diplomatic channels to access the president and relay the thing. This is proper ethics. You don't stand anywhere and make that announcement. Because anybody can execute that. And you put the security agencies at risk because you just said he's going to die. We don't know by what means he's going to die. Is he going to be sick? Poisoned? How? We don't know. You know so you, you create a lot of national, um, you know, national security problems by making that statement. Um, secondly, the person has got family members. Everybody will become worried. If you are talking about a politician, an MP is going to die. Don't you realize you are causing fear and panic? Don't you know where they are? Every MP has an office. Visit them. Go there and say, this is what God is saying. Um, and I believe, and sometimes really, really, if somebody, sometimes when God says certain things, we are not supposed to even say it. We are supposed to intercede about it. But the trend we have seen over the years is all these Munchendi prophecies. This lottery prophecy, you know, I'm saying this, uh, if Ghanaians pray well, then it will happen. Then when the thing doesn't happen, yeah, because I said Ghanaians should pray well. When it doesn't happen, I mean, prophecy from God will be as it is. It will be as it is. You know, see, all these sort of things, really uh, sad that it has come to this. But you see, that comes back to what we are talking about. Government didn't need to have intervened here if the bodies we have in Ghana for example, Christian Council, Ghana Pentecostal and Charismatic Council. 
call these people to order. But they can't call them to order because those people don't respect the structure. And it's because some of them were not sons. They bought their sonship. If you didn't raise me up, you can't correct me because I bought it. I brought one million and now I can say you are my father. And you too, you know you didn't father me. So if I miss baby, you can't call me to order because you yourself, you and me know that it is not that. But those who genuinely are sons, they are easily corrected. You know, so these institutions are there for that purpose. And indeed, when they, I mean, some of the people, I'm Christian Council of Ghana, Ghana Pentecostal Council, they are disciplined ministers there. They are churches who will not really do some of these things. You know, rarely would you see, you know, a church like that doing that. But some of these other people, they seem to be independent, won't submit to authority or anything, or they buy their way into those. They don't respect anything. And because, again, back to, there's no unity and order and discipline. That is why this is running until the point that government now have to step in to, to do this. It shouldn't have been. But unfortunately, um, the church has allowed it. Um, so uh, back to Rwanda, uh, of course, if you want to regulate something, um, I don't think having a degree in theology will change anything. <laughs> because there are people with degrees in theology and they are spiritually bankrupt. They don't know the Holy Ghost. They don't know God at all. They can go to university and go and read theology just as one of the arts and sciences, you know, and come and set up a church and kill people. I mean, Dr. Kwame Nkrumah's doctorate is a, is, a, is a theological doctorate. It's not a political doctorate. It's theology. Okay, but he, he became a political leader. So you, you want him to come and found a church. <laughs> he founded a nation. <laughs> you know, so it, it's, uh, Rwanda was finding a way to, probably these things were going on too, but they don't know what to do, so they decided to regulate it that way. But then we have to be careful that you are not infringing on the constitution and the rights of the people to manifest their religion and worship. What must be important is strengthening the religious institutions, like the, you know, churches council, churches together, and those, so that they will regulate their people. You know, and that's exactly what Christian Council is there for. Uh, Ghana Pentecostal and Charismatic Council is there for. If you are registering with them, you see that the rule is very clear. You submit your constitution and how your things are, who is the founder, etc., etc. So that in the event of anything, they are fighting over anything, they come in as arbitrators to stand in and say, no, no, this is what it's supposed to be. They bring peace. Uh, government works to make sure that there is peace in the country. But if you go and threaten somebody that they are going to die, uh, their family members can come and fight the church. You know, their family members can come and fight the church. I mean, if, you, if somebody goes to give such a prophecy about me, I can guarantee you a whole battalion will leave Usu to go to where they are, and they'll go and deal with them. <laughs> you know, because you are threatening my life, and they are not sure what you are doing to their prince. They'll fight. <laughs> you know, and that can create a lot of chaos for police service. You know, so I think that on one hand, government is right. In the face of the law, we have to be very careful that another government doesn't come and take it to another level and start tightening things and say, you can't say this, you can't prophesy. Then now, very soon, what can we preach? And so that's what has to be regulated. Um, so that's my Amen. take on that. Amen. Thank you, Papa. Um, there's a follow-up question. Yes. Um, so um, I think yesterday or something, I saw a post on Facebook mm. attributed to one prophet saying that 95% of his prophecies had come to pass. And someone said, okay, so what about the other 5%? Mm. But um, the, essentially what it is is that some of these prophets and mm. pastors mm. 
are bringing Christianity into disrepute. That's right. Because people think everyone is a joke who mm. claims to be a Christian. Mm. The question is, why is God silent on some of these things? Mm. We, know, we know that in the Old Testament, you know, he could just open the ground and people will just go mm. to show that he's not happy with what you're doing. But why is he so silent in our times and allowing such people to, you know, operate with impunity? Um, well, prophecy itself has at least a purpose. First Corinthians 14 tells us it is to edify the church and to exalt the church. It looks like most prophecies we hear from these people is all doom. You know, it's all doom. I haven't seen them talking about the prophetic prosperity of Ghana, you know, the economic prosperity of Ghana, uh, and things like that. You know, strangely, none of them saw COVID-19 coming <laughs> when they were making the prophecies from December 31st, 2019 uh, into the coming year. They, none of them uh, saw that one. Uh, they only see death of other people. Um, now, because of some of these things, it has led to what you have just described there. And yes, God, in the Old Testament, when he was dealing with his own people, later on in Ezekiel and some of the prophets, he said, some of these people have not seen them. You know, so he's not going to bother himself about that. Those he has sent must teach the truth to bring the difference. You see, we must teach the truth to destroy the lies. It's similar to the question there, rich man who died and went to hell uh, was asking Abraham that if you send someone from the dead, the people will believe. Mm -hmm. Abraham said they already have the law and they have the prophets. They've got the word of God with them and that should be enough. So sometimes God may not act, not because he has grown old and he can't act, but because he believes that he has, he has his Elijahs on the ground who should be able to teach the truth. And as they continue to teach the truth, people will begin to see the light and the difference. So when we see all these things going on, in the days of old where he was opening the earth and that, he only had Moses. You know, there weren't apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists. Now he has got so many around. What are we doing? So we must teach the truth. When we teach the truth, it will separate the, the chaff from the wheat. And, and sadly, that's what we are not doing. Because the teaching ministry may not be as glamorous as the prophetic. So when teachers must teach, they too want to put their teaching behind and want to prophesy. And want to prophesy in a similar pattern to the rest. But we, may we be like Micaiah, who said that so long as what God has told me is what I will say, I don't care what 400 prophets of Baal say. I don't care what 400 prophets of Ahab are saying. If the, what the law says, I won't depart from it left or right. I will say what the law says I should say. And this is the season where we must have truth being taught. We must not, that's the same thing. We mustn't copy what others are doing. Let the Holy Spirit lead us. Let's teach the truth. Let's raise all the doctrinal issues. Let's teach it correctly. People will see the light. That's why God placed us here. That's why we are the light of the world. So when there's darkness going on, we must teach the truth of the light. And people will see the truth. It may not be glamorous. It may not be exciting. Truth itself is bitter. But if that's what will cure you, every good doctor will dispense that. He will give you that one. It is going to be painful, but that is what will cure you. 
if you must be surgically operated, it's a process that is very painful. No, no surgeon, no doctor in his right mind really love to operate on anyone. But if that is what will save your life, it will come with pain, but we will do it. So in the same thing, the truth of the word is what we must teach. You know, building lives on the foundation of God's word. And so let's gather the word. Let's fill our spirits with the word. Let's submit ourselves to truthful teaching and let's come out boldly and teach the truth of the word. Again, we see error going on, but we become diplomatic around it. I don't want to talk. Um, I don't want to offend anybody. If you're not offending anybody, thousands are listening to that lie. And because no one is challenging it, and the person has got airtime, people will believe that is true. These days, anybody that sees anyone on air, they believe that probably they are all correct. They have been vetted. When we're growing up, you can't just come on air. You would have been vetted properly by the station before. Now, these days, anybody can sit anywhere and just speak. Uh, I'm going live now. Listen to me. I'm going live. <laughs> and then they all start talking. And because they are live and people are just liking it because they themselves have also not been taught. You know, sometimes you watch all these things and say, what's going on? But sometimes I hear that gentle rebuke of the Lord. You should do more than you are doing. You should utilize the airways more than you are doing. You should have different teaching platforms more than you are doing so that you can correct that. So God won't step in when he has put us there. He won't. At best, he may judge us for failing to do what we are supposed to do. Why he placed us as salt on the earth to preserve it from going bad and putting us as light to teach the light of the word so those in darkness can see it. Amen. Amen. So God is not silent. Yes. We have a responsibility to teach the truth mm. and be the salt of the earth and the light of the earth. Mm. Amen. Amen. May the Lord help us. Amen. Amen. I have one last question. Okay. <laughs> it's end of year, so we can enjoy, <laughs> we can enjoy the <clears throat> And I think it's, it's very much in line with um, us teaching the truth and mm. all. So, um, on social media, we mm. see a lot of um, social media influencers. Mm. And I've actually seen um, quite a few Latter-day Saints um, members who are social media influencers. And they use their Instagram pages to talk about Latter-day Saints, their services, what they believe in. You see people asking questions. Mm. And it's really open. Mm. And the question we have is, is being a social media influencer compatible with being an active Christian? Is it something that we are missing as Christians? Um, is it a way of also teaching the truth? Or is it something that we have to be careful of? All right. Uh, being a social media influencer is not incompatible with our Christian faith. It depends on what we are doing there. But we must utilize that space. Um, you see, the church... That's what we must teach. The church is sick in a way. We, I'm trying to carefully design my words. Not because I'm afraid of anybody, but because I want it to come out clearly. You see, some years ago, some believers, and there's a particular church, they had issues with social media. 
They even want their members not to go on Facebook. But today, they are live morning, afternoon, evening. And I think two or three years ago, four years ago, they had their, their camp meeting. They brought in a very influential technological person to come and teach all their pastors about that. You see, sometimes the church has a problem. We've got too many conspiracy theorists in church. Some of all these things that go on with COVID vaccine, it starts from church. It starts from the body of Christ, so to speak. We don't manifest intelligence and knowledge the way God has given to us. We just, we make the unsaved world, especially those who are intellectuals, make mockery of believers. Because we believe little trivial things and sometimes we don't question things intellectually. Much as we are people of faith, faith is not stupidity. You know, faith is not lack of manifestation of common sense. Faith is actually applying all the faculties God has given to you together with belief in him to demonstrate his power. I do remember years ago, I remember one member of our church and I have to deal with her seriously. She's forwarded something about, you know, something about a baby who was born in Egypt and when the baby opened, they opened the arm of the baby said, I am coming soon. I said, look, these things, they are computer generated. Stop believing these things. It's coming soon. It's there already in Revelation 22. It doesn't need a baby born and the baby came with a tight fist and they have to surgically open the arm of the child and then they saw this written there. I mean, what are you talking about? And we believe said things. So they have found the bones of Goliath somewhere and you see Christians following. Listen, this is all computer generated. We don't need the bones of Goliath to believe that the encounter with David happened. You know, so unbelievers create this and they start and say, you what them? They'll be forwarding it. They'll be forwarding it. And they will say, look at what the Lord is doing. The Lord is doing nothing. You are believing foolishness. If you don't use your head, it will become heavy on your neck. We need to understand that we can't deal with certain things unless we study about them. So if we have a situation where, you know, some of these things are going on, we just need to ask ourselves, have we studied the thing enough? I mean, some of this, like this COVID vaccine issue, you find Christians being resistant to it because they believe that there's a conspiracy by so Who are the people? You know, so they want to kill all of us. And some people don't want to make money. So you mean the Chinese produce this one to enrich the European. Have you seen, do you understand geopolitics? Why would the China try to do anything that will promote the financial base of European pharmaceutical companies? It doesn't make sense. And they want to kill all the blacks. And the majority who have died of this are not blacks. It doesn't make sense. So, it's the same thing we, 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 we come... What was the last bit of the question? Um, if being a, a social media social, yes. so, is compatible with being... A that's right. So in the same way, as I was talking about technology, this is another medium by which we can spread the gospel. We shouldn't shy away from there because some shatawale is on there. 
or some Kanye West is on there. So we are not going there. If you are not going there, those people will be there and influence more souls for their type of kind. So enter the arena. God is not against it. The Lord has not declared that as something that is not righteous. If you are going there to also promote unrighteousness, then you are, you are becoming a negative influence. So let's be the positive light. Let's go there. If you are going to be a positive Christian influencer there, go there and influence people. Teach or discuss topics that will be appealing to people. That's a burning bush experience. Draw their attention. That's how God did it. In the end, it drew the attention of Moses. And when God saw that Moses turned to look at the thing, he spoke to him. And from there, we never heard anything about the burning bush. So it becomes the means by which you draw the attention. So discuss topics if you feel that you can do that effectively. Go and use the place. And in the end, let people know that you're a Christian. Let people see that you're a believer. When we're in school, that's what we did. We balance our Christian life with our academic life. So that when you, when you excel, you know, we don't take out the God factor. So that God made that possible too. You know, so we serve God equally and we do that. So we were also using that academic excellence to promote Christ, that this is what can also happen. You know, so in the same way, it's not incompatible. It only becomes incompatible if we go there and we are promoting something that is not righteous. You know, we go there and we are promoting all kinds of things that the word of God says shouldn't be. But if that is where people congregate now, let's go there. Let's influence them and let's draw them to Christ. Solomon's wisdom was so excellent that an unbelieving queen of Sheba traveled all the way to come and check it out. And she saw. People came to Jesus and they met God. So let's use our influence, whether it is uh, a motivational talk, but at the same time, we bring Christ in, into the picture. Whatever we want to do out there, let's not take out Christ. Let's make it so strong. We can do so many things that may not be churchy to people, but before they realize it's actually church. But the discussion and what is going on may not have the typical setup of a church. But what you are doing actually is still teaching truth about salvation and about eternal life. And you are being very creative with it and you are being someone who is influencing lives. Some people think that, you know, life is only when you are drinking some bottles of alcohol and I've got so many other women and things like that. You can show them that you can excel. You can be a very successful person and still be a Christian. And still be a Christian who does not drink alcohol. You know, you present something like that. It changes the game. I mean, sometimes some of these footballers do that. I think one of these players, he, when he scores, he takes, takes off his, his uh, the jersey. And then there's Jesus is Lord. You know, something like that. He's influencing people in a way, saying, this is me. Ronaldo tries to say things like he doesn't drink alcohol. You know, these are things that will influence someone to think, okay, so you can be successful without that. That's a positive influence. You know, so things like that is possible. And then you prove that it is based on your Christian faith that you don't do this one. That, I believe, is a positive thing. So it is not uh, incompatible with that. I'm, I'm being careful because... Our children, we want them to go to school. Then they say they want to be social media influencers. <laughs> you go to school first and get a degree. <laughs> These young ones. The moment they hit 10 years, say, what do you want to become? He's not talking astronaut and doctor anymore and lawyer anymore. He's a footballer and social media YouTuber. Stop that. 
Just go and get the degrees and come. If people were becoming like that, they would not be able to produce anything on their YouTube. Amen. So we have to use the technology available to us to present Christ in so many different ways and be a positive influence to other people. Amen. But we have to learn. We have to go to school as well. Amen. Amen. So, um, Papa, yes. before we end, yes. um, this being the, the last one of the year, mm. um, humbly, because we are in a, an Omicron environment, <laughs> and there's been quite a lot of talk about vaccine hesitancy mm. um, amongst Christians and also among the black um, communities. Could you please give us a two, three minute message on Omicron, the importance of taking the vaccine, protecting ourselves with the masks, so that we'll be able to share this out as a soundbite with other people as well and do some good as the year comes to an end. Amen. I mean, just like I'm saying, the church doesn't help itself. Um, as a bishop that also represents black Pentecostals, uh, a section of black Pentecostals in the United Kingdom, we've had meetings with government um, officials. And, and I mean, for a whole cabinet to designate one part, you know, to have a faith minister to meet some of us and say, we want you to help us to talk to your people. Because using the United Kingdom as an example, the greatest hesitancy is coming from majority black population. And they have, the government intelligence services, they are not only looking for Al-Qaeda. They also look for threats to national security, including health security. And their investigations and their intelligence has led them to black-led churches. Where this is being taught, don't take it. It's this, it's that. You know. So now, if they ever talk about lockdown, there's an idea flowing that they will lock down those who are not vaccinated so that the, unvac the vaccinated ones can go to work to keep the economy going. Now, we don't want to go there, but the point is that we are Christians. Those of us who have taken it, you think we don't have faith? If I don't have faith, I won't let somebody inject something to me that I don't know. Nobody's going to die as a result of this. And we are not being marked for 999, uh, 666 uh, Antichrist mark. The Antichrist mark, the mark of the beast, will not be an injection. It will be obvious, according to all the teachings in Revelations. It will be on the forehead and on the right hand. Nothing is being put into us to kill black people. Let's be intelligent a little bit and spirit-led a bit. Because you become the cause of infection to another person. The chances of people who are not vaccinated falling seriously ill and dying is higher than those who had been vaccinated. And sometimes when you are not vaccinated, and you catch the virus. You may say for now, you don't have an underlying health condition. But there are certain things that can predispose you 
to bring out a family underlying health condition. If you get infected and get seriously ill, it can go and trigger something. So it's wise. The Bible says that the simple-minded person rejects counsel and goes along and gets destroyed. But the prudent sees danger and avoids it. So it is not an evil thing to take the, the vaccine. It is not. It is to protect you from being seriously ill. Sadly, in the past two weeks, sadly, I know two men of God. Men of God I know personally who have sadly died. All in their 50s. Not late 50s, mid 50s. Early, early 50s. And they all refused the vaccine. They talk about my faith will carry me, my faith will carry me. He tested positive on a Friday, and by Sunday after church, he can't breathe well. They called emergency services, and that's it. The other one also died on Thursday last week. So just in that past week, two men of God I know have died. These are senior pastors of their churches. And holding on to this. You know, it brings unnecessary pain to the family. And one of them, the wife is upset. You know, she doesn't know which way to cry. Because for her, she has taken it. They kept telling them, take it, we are not going to die. And then it happens. You know, the other one, it brings so much untold hardship. So you see, this type of death, they have died. It is not the devil that killed them. It's not the devil at all. It's not a conspiracy of the devil to attack their ministry. I don't want to say anything now, but I believe that when they appear before God, probably he'll have something to say to them. So, let's not be wiser than God. You can have your faith and let your faith carry you. But my counsel is that if it becomes necessary and the opportunity is there, I will encourage you to go for it. Whatever you don't know is inside. So did you not know what was in the polio vaccine you took as a child. So you don't know what was in the BCG given to you and your child. You didn't know all the vaccinations. When we take our children to hospital, they ask, have they had all their vaccinations? We say yes, happily. We don't investigate what was there. How is it this one suddenly, this has become an issue? Oh, no, no, the rate at which they develop the vaccine. Please, again, that's why I say, let's be Christians and think. Check things out knowledgeably. Find out what is the correct medical name for this virus. SARS-CoV-2. Where is CoV-1? Because we've had SARS already. It killed people in the Far East. The SARS virus was there. Coronaviruses are not new to medical science. They are there already. If you check your Dettol bottle, you will find out it says it kills coronaviruses. This was not manufactured anywhere. It's, they've been there. So SARS had been killing people. So if they were working on a vaccine for SARS, 
That's happened about 10 years ago. They've been working on that. So when they found this one to be that, they have the template already. In the days of old, it would take individual pharmaceutical companies to fund their own thing. This one is affecting national economies. Government put money into it and get it quickly done. See, this is the only difference. There's no conspiracy or anything. We think, and sadly, the black person. See, 50 years down the line, if majority of blacks die of this, then they'll come and say the white should do reparations. But those who have studied the history say it was the blacks who were refusing the thing. And we are always suspicious. I don't know whether we were enslaved. So we are always needlessly suspicious. We are giving too much credit to certain people who don't exist and we claim they exist, who want to kill all of us. To rule who? Let the Holy Spirit lead us. Let us be wise. If we all have it, we protect each other and we can get things running quicker and faster. So may God help all of us. May God help you to make the right judgment. But sometimes it's saddening some of us when we go into some of those meetings and we see them talking to say, well, what can we do to help you to speak to your people? They are the cause of the hesitancy. They are refusing to take it because we always think somebody wants to kill us. <laughs> but may God help us to reason properly in the name of Jesus. Maybe I'm not surprised somebody may think I'm an agent <laughs> who is being used to now convince my people. But church, if anybody really believes in heaven, I do. And I don't want to take the mark of the beast. And I'm telling you, this is not the mark of the beast. Amen. 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 Thank you so very much, Papa. Um, so Bishop has spoken as a father of this house and also with his background in medicine. So we will not take it for granted. Amen. Amen. Right. Church, please let's put our hands together. Let's shout. Let's scream with some emojis as we say thank you. Thank you very much, Papa. It's been a year of learning and growing Amen. and understanding and more understanding. Mm. And we are very, very grateful both for your time to answer our questions and for being a father to all of us. Amen. We are very grateful. Thank you very much, Papa. Amen. You're most welcome. We thank God. And I pray that the knowledge you have received, you'll be able to apply it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.